have you ever tried to do the right thing? Well, even done the right thing and said the right thing. And yet the result of what you did or said, uh, even though it was right, it, oh, it just overflowed the boundaries of what you were expecting. And it started to go very, very badly. Well, that's what happened to Paul. If you remember back in 1 Corinthians, he had told them to deal with the situation in their church. And there were so many situations, but there was one where a man had taken his father's widow as his wife. We're assuming widow. Uh, we're, we're not sure how he got his uh, father's wife as his wife, but there was no way that was legal in Jewish law, in Roman law, or Corinthian law. And yet, the people seem to be bragging about it for some reason that escapes all of us. And Paul had said, stop it. Well, they did. But they went further than Paul wanted them to go with this. And they didn't know how far to take some of the things he had said to them in previous letters. And we're in 2 Corinthians right now, which means probably three earlier letters had been sent to them. And we know 1 Corinthians probably is the real 2 Corinthians. But again, that's not what we're going for here. There were people that were terrified of Paul uh, because of the things he was saying and how harsh they sounded. And then there were others who accepted what Paul said with gladness, perhaps because it confirmed what they believed, and they had then been rough on their fellows in the Corinthian church. So here are letters meant to help get you all on the same page and help you all see the big picture. And instead, they use these, these letters to beat each other up with. Were the letters wrong? No. But Paul is going to, you're going to see him here today, plainly, deeply distressed at what's going on and the result of what he told them to do and the way they did it. So we start 1 Corinthians chapter 2. As I told you last week, you really have to start it where it starts. And that's first, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. He says, I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it. This is strong language even for Paul, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Had Paul come to Corinth when he was planning to, he believes that the church would have blown up. It would have split. It would have been destroyed. Now I grew up in a religious tradition where we actually had preachers that went in to sort out churches and they ended up very often splitting, uh, becoming poor little churches instead of a bigger functional church. And they did it in the name of God because God told them to. They need, I wish they had read this from Paul because Paul had every right to say what he said and he had every right to go do what he wanted to do. But he said, if I did it, it wouldn't be good for you. Doing good sometimes can do harm. Uh, you can, you can. well, I'm not going to go into that rabbit hole. We have too much to do right here. Not in order to spare you. I uh, see, not that we lord it over your faith, 
but we work with you for your joy. In other words, if he comes back in, it's going to be perceived as lording it over them because he is an apostle, even though a lot in Corinth say he isn't, and that will be dealt with in this letter. He, he's going to come in there with his size 12s or whatever sandals he wears and stomp all over it just because of his position. There's an expression in Dutch, and I used to know it in Dutch, and I don't anymore, but it is um, literally translated, it is, and a minister walked by. And it is something you say when there's an awkward silence. Um, and I, I find that very amusing and a, a neat little cultural tidbit. I have found in my life that I can't go to small groups whenever we uh, do small groups. You know, I can host one very easily and I can work with that very easily. But when people say, Patrick, you've been working every day this week and on Sunday morning, you did all this other, why don't you just come and just be a part of the small group? For over 30 years, every time I've tried that, it causes problems. Not Now, the people wouldn't say, well, we're having a problem. What it does is it shuts down discussion. And when a question is asked by the leaders of the group, the heads all turn toward me. Why? Because I do this for a living. And Paul understands that his mere presence will change the dynamic. And he is angry. And he is hurt. And they are angry. And they are hurt. And so this is not a time for Paul to lunge right into the middle of things. What a wise man. Verse 1 of chapter 2, So I made up my mind I would not make another painful visit to you. Another painful visit to you. There has been a visit to them between what we call 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And he has written another letter that he refers to in a bit. But he is, um, he said, I'm just, I decided I wasn't going to do that again. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? Now, this is, this is just such an amazing passage. And I want you to really dig into it this week. I want you to really think about it. Paul refuses to write them off. He refuses to treat them as lesser even though, quite frankly, they are. Uh, they are lesser when it comes to that they're not apostles, but they're also lesser in the way they behave. But he will not quit calling them beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. He refuses to divide from them. And he will do anything he can, including not going there if that will help them stay united. If we had that attitude, Christians, we would be a force that could never be changed, could never be resisted. But instead, many people think what Jesus and God really want is absolute, pure, correct knowledge and practice in all aspects of theology, even the hidden things. And that if we are not all in lockstep, then for this precision obedience, we will be lost. They truly believe this. They believe that it is more important to God what you believe about him than the love you show for him.
sad, tragic. He wrote, I says, or Paul says, I wrote as I did so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who made me rejoice. In other words, even the people on Paul's side are distressing him about something. You'll get the idea of what it is shortly. I had confidence in all of you that you would share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. As I've said before, recently in this series, I've had many times where preachers or family or friends come up and say, Patrick, we really love you, but, and then they unload on, uh, they don't like this about the church and they don't like this about my church and they don't like this about me. They don't like this about Miss Kami and I, they don't. And after they've tried and written letters to where I'm going to preach saying, oh, you don't want that snake in there and doing all the harm. And just on and on and on. Then look at you now. We're doing this because we love you. No, no, you're not. You're doing it to exert power and control. And because by stepping on me, you think you can climb a wee bit higher because that's what humans be, just do. I, um, There are people I could step on to get higher, but I don't want to get any higher. I don't want to be on anybody's pedestal because nobody survives the fall off of those things. Paul is saying, Paul's in that same situation. And I'll never be Paul. I'm not like Paul. But I hear what he is saying here. And he has gone well beyond any human being I have ever heard in my life. Trying to find a way to stay united with a church that's divided amongst itself and divided from him. He says, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. In other words, all the pain that some of these people were trying to cause Paul was really just causing them pain and pain to the people around him because the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Here's where most um, commentators uh, most, I, I would think most biblical historians are all lining up in agreement that now we're talking about the guy that had been married to his father's wife. They did evidently exert some uh, majority control over him and did push him out of their fellowship. That's, he seems to have rallied a faction, a very loud faction, and fought back, and then he looks to have repented and changed the way he lives. And now some of those that he hurt very, very, very badly don't want him back because he hurt them so much. This is a real thing. I've had people just nearly destroy a church in which I was attending or working and do so with noses in the air, stomping out and taking all of their toys. And then later, just wanna come in and say, listen, we're really sorry. And some people just don't want them around because they don't trust them. And you know, I'm gonna tell you something, fair enough. I do believe that they're gonna to have to create a track record to, they're gonna actively have to work to heal those divisions but we should be as loving as we possibly can be while that process is working out. Paul 
is our exemplar here. He is the one showing us how to be better than we are. He goes, now you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I have repented of things in my life that pretty much would have drowned me uh, in my sorrow, would have broken me forever had not hands reached down from outside me and pulled me up and would not let me drown in my sorrow. This has happened more than once in my life where I thought my ministry life is over. Maybe my family life is over. My friendships are all gone. And I was making plans just to disappear, basically. Not take my own life, although I'd be a liar if I said that it never ever flashed through my mind. Whether it came from me or Satan, I don't know. But it was more just hit the road, take a secular job, hit the road, take a different one. I'm very skilled at traveling and movement across the globe. I could do it, never, ever, ever being involved in church again because of my sins. Now here, we're not talking about others. We're talking about my sins. And my excessive sorrow and repentance broke me, uh, or perhaps it revealed to me that I was already broken. And yet people reached in and would not let me go. And I thank God for them obviously. Paul is saying, the person that you really landed on with a gigantic thud is still your brother, and it's time for you to pick him up. Let We're not ignoring what happened, but what we are doing is saying, we are going to work from here on out as brothers and sisters. We're going to help you. Another reason I wrote you is to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Listen to this. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. I'm reading between the lines here, obviously, but it seems to me that there were there were people there saying, well, I don't know if I can forgive him or not. Let's wait and see what Paul says. So he's saying, anybody you forgive, I forgive. What I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive. How gracious. I mean, I give Paul guff sometimes because... He deserves it. And there are times Paul gets brutal, harsh, and I'm thinking, Paul, that would that could have been said in a much better way. But this is Paul at his best. When he's saying, anybody I've forgiven if there is anything to forgive. This is a man who has been beaten, shipwrecked, stoned. He has been treated awfully, just horribly. And he goes, it's... I forg it's forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And dear people who are watching, whether or not you're Christians, um, atheists, agnostics, deists, Muslims, or Jews, um, or Hindu or other, you need to know that we're not alone in the universe and not everything out there likes us. And Satan will use your Christianity to destroy you. He will use your faith in your God to destroy you. These, these are pre-recorded. This is um, being pre-recorded 
almost exactly a month before it'll be posted. And again, I do that because of my travel schedule. Also because with COVID, I could be ill for four weeks. And so we want, we want you to have material, all right? It's important to us that our Safe Harbor Church, which is a virtual church literally going around the world, uh, can stay healthy and fed even if something happens to me for a time. So that's it. Right now, what is um, breaking our hearts here in Middle Tennessee are the deaths of 18, we suspect 21, but 18 people just an hour west of us in, in the small town of Waverly, which has almost been wiped off the map by unheard of floods. But we are also torn apart by what we see happening around the airport in Afghanistan. I have no idea what the world's going to look like in a month when you hear this. So I'm not addressing the politics of it, but I am, I'm going to confess to you, this is not going to sound, this is not going to make me sound like a good person. Okay. When I see the Taliban and their faces and the anger and the judgment and the harshness in their faces, I always is, is that what you think Allah wants from you? To, to rape and kill little girls? To beat women to death because they had the temerity to shop without an, a, an escort from a male in their family? This, this, is, this is what you think God wants? I believe Satan has outwitted you. And I would say the same if you're talking about the crusaders, to go into a town, rob the people of their food and goods, mistreat them to the point of, of again, rape, murder, burning it behind them because God has need of it. I believe Satan has outwitted you. And those that go into churches, and split them and demand you all come to my level of agreement and understanding or you're out. I believe Satan has outwitted you. And Satan can even outwit us when it comes to forgiveness. We are to forgive. And yet, forgiveness is offensive. Because other people will say, well, that, that denies justice. That denies me my right to, to revenge or to speak of my hurt openly. I get it. I've been there. Forgiveness is hard. And I'm not sure what it always looks like. And whenever you have many people, that dynamic is a constantly moving thing. So while we're going through it together, even though we're at different places, and even though we're bumping up against each other, let us please not let Satan outwit us and make our righteousness so vast that we cannot do what God told us to do because we are too righteous for that. We can't forgive that person. We cannot accept that person. We cannot tolerate this because our righteousness exceeds that of God. I fear Satan has outwitted you. 
he says, when I went on to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found the Lord had opened the door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Just a wee note there. Be aware that it is, it is such a blessing to live as we do now with all our media options there. Uh, and all the way up into the, the early part of the 20th century, people could leave and you never knew how to find them again. Uh, people you loved. Letters. Fewer letters were delivered than posted by half. You just never know if they ever got a letter, if they ever heard from you again. So he's looking for Titus. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. We are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To another, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? I, I'll talk about it, but there's just such power in here. Psalm 139, uh, David says about God that he's got one arm around him and he's got his right hand on him and he's pointing him and he had plans and he's shoving him that direction. And Paul is saying he's shoved, being shoved too and indicates that others in Corinth and with him are being shoved. We're being made to march in Christ's triumphal procession. You might say made to, get to. I understand. But you don't, as a marcher in a parade, you don't get to pick the route. And sometimes Christ is going to take you where you don't want to go. Remember, Jesus said that whenever he, he looked at his apostles, possibly specifically and only Peter here, if the reading is, is, is the way I think it is, where he goes, one of these days, you're going to stretch out your hand and people are going to take you where you do not want to go. Because you see, Christ is the drum major out in front. We don't get to pick the route. We're in his parade. So as we go, what's our job? Our job is to smell like Jesus. Um, it's, it's a first century expression. We would say, look like Jesus, act like Jesus, love like Jesus. This is a shortcut for that. That's all. <clears throat> uh, we're still in a heat wave here. I don't know what's going to be like in a month. We say air quality alert, uh, stay inside and all that other, believe them. Move in here, just a word about aromas. The same perfume that you love makes somebody else nauseous. The same aftershave or Axe body spray that you adore makes somebody else throat swell up and makes them feel sick. That's the way that aromas, scents do. So when it comes to those things, let us please use them very sparingly, um, being aware that if we can't smell it yet, it is still very possible others do. It's, it may be that our olfactory perceptions are not where they're up to the job anymore. But with Christ, let it out. And some people are going to like it and some people are not going to like it. 
And Paul just, just in wonder says, who's equal to this task? This job God has given us and he's marching us. Who among us can say, yeah, we got this. Any Christian that does or gives that attitude, you might want to scoot away from them. Um, there, there's going to be a fall coming. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Paul does not say things like this without a root issue. And part of the things that Corinth was accusing, or some in Corinth were accusing him of, was only preaching to get money. Uh, this fall, there's supposed to be a movie about, uh, I guess it's the rise and fall of Jem and Tammy Faye Baker. We've all seen, you know, the Jimmy Swaggarts. We've all seen these things in, uh, in our growing up years, and it's tragic. Um, it is just Ernest Angsley. I, I, the things we have seen, no wonder many people think all of church is just being charlatan. Um, you know, working for churches uh, and working for the federal government with law enforcement training and such as I do and uh, with hospitals and the like, there are many times that at the end of the year, I barely break even when it comes to whatever pay was offered um, versus expenses getting there and back. Other years it's prosperous, by the way, and so I need to admit that. But more often than not, if there's a profit, it's not worth the wear and tear on the body. And Paul here is saying, you know, he's never going to deny that people do pay him and that he does earn money, uh, not only doing this, but he makes tents or whatever he has to do to keep moving forward with Christ. But the money's not the reason he does it. That's, he'll come back to this. But now he's just going to get in their face a wee bit and say, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Um, I do get some of what Paul's going through here. Uh, some of the, and, and it doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to, but I would get people that would actually bring, create false documents. They would take over my Facebook and they would, and claim to be me online. They would send things, um, all sorts of lies uh, to people and they would preach about that. And many of them believed all this because look, they have papers. I remember one time an elder said, listen, we got this thing. Can We, we got to sit down and um, we got to talk about all this. And I said, no, no, we don't. And he looked at me and he goes, why not? And I said, I'm not going to give you any letters. I'm not going to give you any letters of recommendation. I'm not going to bring my resume. I'm not going to bring the pile of diplomas and, and flop it in front of you. What I am going to say is, look behind me. What did I leave behind me? I'm 64 now. I'll be 65 in a few months. What's behind me? Is that fruit of lies, division, charlatanism? Uh, did I do this for money? Did I do this for power? What is behind me? 
Jesus said that good water can't come out of a bad spring and that good fruit can come off of a bad tree. So have a look. And last year, when we had our very, very bad October, every eldership from every church I have ever served reached out to me, gave us funds to survive, sent flowers to Miss Cammie, came by, drove many, many, many states. One uh, set of elders that couldn't make it all the way here because they are way far away, sent a check and said, listen, it's the age of COVID. We can't have you out here, but if we did, we'd pay you this much. So we're saying, keep going. And so I was able to say, just look at my life. What's behind me? Paul's having to do the same thing here because Satan's outwitting us once again. People going to go in search of the truth must destroy others. And Paul's going, That's, then it's not the truth. Have a look at what I've lived. Who am I? What have I done? He says, such confidence we have through Christ before God. That's a very strong statement. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Would you please underline that in your Bibles right now, or perhaps make that your next tattoo if you do tattoos, or put it on the walls of your house. Uh, several things there. Whenever I'm saying, look at behind me, look at the fruit of my life, there's no bragging there because it is Christ that makes us competent. I'm not competent. I'm not worthy. I'm not qualified in any sort of way to do what I'm doing. And I am a man of sin and I'm, I am a man of great faults and I am a man of great disability. But Christ makes us competent and then says, we don't need letters. We don't need the letter of the law. The letter of the law kills, but the spirit gives life. That's the way we should be treating those who disagree with us, those that even scare us a little bit. Let's not run to the law and find a hammer, but let's listen to the spirit and find a way toward life. Well, He's going to start something here, which um, he really develops far more uh, in the book. We already looked at Galatians, um, but in the book of Romans. Um, but if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? I'm not going to go over every step and every bit of this, Um for you because it's really self-explanatory. But the rest of this chapter is this. The old law, when applied without grace, which by the way, God did not do. Uh, God gave grace repeatedly through the Old Testament. The Old Testament is saturated in mercy and grace. But people did use the law and the Pharisees had often used the law. Paul used to be a Pharisee uh, in a way that, that brutalized people or treated them as if they had less worth because they did not agree with the Pharisees. And they applied the letter of the law and Jesus got into their face over this uh, without understanding the spirit of the law. And so in Matthew, 
he goes on a whole chapter just blasting them. He says, then Paul says, and then Moses, when he saw God shortly, just a bit, he glowed so much. The story is that when Moses came off of Mount Sinai, carrying the law that he shone so brightly that they had to put a veil on him. And eventually that went away. Well, Paul's saying, we have hope. We have an eternal hope, which is not like the hope given to Moses. His hope was of a temporal home leading people to a promised land, dirt given to them by God. Ours is an eternal hope, and it is a much better hope. And he wants us to glow. He wants us to read the scriptures, which Paul, when he says scriptures, means what we call the Old Testament. He wants them to read it, understand it, rightly divide it. In other words, apply what should be applied and don't apply what shouldn't be. Handle it aright is another translation of that phrase to, in Timothy. But whenever you come close to Christ, you will glow with Christ and people will see Christ in you. Not everybody. Those whom Satan has outwitted will not see him. But those who are driven by love will. And he talks here, verse 17 now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now that reminds me of a certain movie, doesn't that? Freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I, I'm going to ask you a question. The churches we've attended, and some of you may still attend, is there freedom? Or is there an expectation that you will fall in line? I believe Satan has outwitted far more than we think. And by the way, I still think God's going to save them, but they're going to, it's just what a tragic waste that they did not read the very Bible that they claim they adore. And we all who with unveiled faces, He's using a thing there. Some of the Jews weren't able to see the beauty and the glory of Christ. So their faces are veiled. Here he's saying, we, and by the way, Paul was a Jew. This is not anti-Semitic in any way. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Who The Lord who is the Spirit is just I, I love that sort of stuff. But what I want to leave you with right now is that being transformed thing. I, I am not transformed as fast as I would like, but I'm probably going as fast as God can lead me without breaking me. I've told God before, I want to be better, but lead me gently because I bruise easy and I fear I will break. I've, I've used those those types of sentiment thousands of times to God. And so when people ask me, well, when were you saved? I'll smile and say, I was baptized in an October long ago, almost 54 years ago now, 53 years ago. Um, and I believe I was saved as a child, because I was baptized as an 11 year old. 
I believe as a child, I was saved anyway by the grace of God. But I had learned some things about myself and learned some things about God and realized that I needed a savior. And I gave myself to him in baptism and sins were forgiven and I was saved. And since that day, I am I'm continually being saved. Not by, I'm not indicating here, I'm sliding back toward the fires of hell, nothing like that. I believe he's transforming us and making us more saved as we walk with him. It's an event, but it's also a process. And if you do it right, it's lifelong. And it ends up being eternal life, which is pretty cool. All right, we'll see you next week. God bless you. Please, if you have questions, Patrick at rsafeharbor.com. Thank you for all of those who give and support our work and who are helping us. And again, this is a monthly uh, in our work in Waverly to restore those people's um, lives and homes and, and hearts. Thank you. God bless